You're listening to the Gate Charlotte Podcast. Our mission is to reach people, release heaven, and restore culture, sharing in the love of Jesus and all we do. We hope you enjoy this message. Thanks for the vote of confidence, John. <laughs> he said, don't blow it. I warmed you up. Um, so I do, if you guys have been here the last few times that I've spoken, um, <laughs> I really haven't spoken because the Lord hadn't given me uh, anything to, well, I'd made a sermon and then I would get up here and the Lord would be like, hey, don't preach that. Uh, The thing that you've spent 30 hours working on all week. If I can get my iPad to work. Um, I do have a message this morning, um, but I don't feel released to go ahead into it yet. I do have a few words of knowledge I'd like to release before we get into that real quick. So um, before I do that, uh, let me pray. Holy Spirit, we just thank you for what you did during worship. And Lord, we, uh, we pray that this be a continuation of that. Holy Spirit, come, rest on us, awaken our hearts, um, remind us of your goodness and your beauty. In your name we pray, amen. All right, so here's a few words of knowledge. And if this is you, please stand up. And uh, people around you will start praying for you. Um, I heard restless leg syndrome. Um, I specifically felt like it was connected to insomnia and not being able to sleep. Okay, awesome. Right off the bat. That's awesome. One for one. All right, let's keep going. Um, COVID symptoms. I know that there are people that are still dealing with COVID symptoms, residual COVID. Um, If you don't have your taste and smell back, go ahead and stand up. If uh, you are dealing with... um, the, the tricky part for me was brain fog. Like the brain fog just would not lift. So if you've been dealing with brain fog, go ahead and uh, stand up. Uh, drainage down the back of the throat was rough too. I would feel, this is the tricky, uh, the, like the weird trippy part, is I felt drainage, but when I would go clear my throat, there would be no drainage. It's almost like a, a psychological thing of feeling like you have drainage going down the back of your throat. The other issue was sinuses that feel swollen all the time, even when you're not sick. So like my glasses would physically lift off my face because my sinuses were swollen. So it's crazy. Um, And then a cough. Who here still has a cough like you feel like you have to keep clearing your throat over and over and over again? Okay, cool. Let's keep on going. Um, Sciatica. That was another one that I heard. Uh, Like your leg going numb for absolutely no reason. Starts in your butt cheek and goes down the like towards the back of your kneecap. I know a few people who deal with that. Um, And this may or may not be connected to the whole COVID thing. Um, I actually talked with my chiropractor, and he said that he had seen some symptoms like this. Um, And that is pain in, like, the muscles of the shoulder and the back of the neck after COVID. It's actually like a post-COVID system where you feel headaches in, like, the back of your skull at the very base of your skull. Mine is typically on the left-hand side, and it can actually influence vision. Um, so if that's any of you guys, most of you guys stood up, awesome. So here's what we're going to do. I want to pray, and then if anyone around you is standing up, lay hands on them if they'll let you. Please ask before you start laying hands on people. Holy Spirit, we invite your healing power to come and rest on us today. Lord, we declare healing for sciatica. We speak to that nerve, Lord, and we command it to be, to be whole. Lord, I specifically declare that restless legs will cease, Lord, that there'll be peace when it's time for them to go to sleep. Lord, I declare healing over headaches, 
at the base of the skull, Lord, as a symptom of COVID. And Lord, and over all those nasty symptoms post-COVID, all of the drainage, all of the, the taste and smell issues, Lord, everything that comes with COVID, we declare healing and wholeness right now in the name of Jesus. I just got another one, um, meniscus that didn't heal properly. Like you have a clicking in your knee. Is that for anyone specifically? Okay, so we got it over here. Awesome. Holy Spirit, we declare healing over the meniscus, a, a, a tear in the meniscus, Lord. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord. Keep praying. Keep praying. Is there someone with a torn rotator cuff that didn't heal properly? I feel like it's related to football specifically, like a bad tackle. Victor, and he's not here right now, but we'll, we'll just release. I'll probably watch the live stream. So in the name of Jesus, Victor, we declare healing over you right now. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Lord, I just declare brain fog to lift right now in the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus. Wow. Thank you, Lord. All right, you guys who are getting prayed for, go ahead and test it out. Test everything out. Some of it will be hard to test out, but go ahead and test it out if you can. And if you feel like you received healing, I want you to wave your hands at me. Awesome. You can smell? She can smell. Awesome. 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 I feel like there will be more, um, more later. So we'll just uh, carry on. I love that I can hold the bottom of the mic and it doesn't freak out on me anymore. So we're getting that taken care of. Um, so if you don't know me or I don't know you, my name is Jordan. I'm the uh, youth pastor and young adult director here. I get to work with uh, Nate and Dee Dee Stewart, who are the uh, young adult directors. Love them deeply. Um, yeah, my wife's not here yet. She will be here. Unfortunately, her job made a shift where she has to work one weekend a month. And today was the day that they're having her work. Um, she tried to file a religious exemption because it's Reformation Day. And she was like, I have to be there for Reformation Day. Reformation Day is my all-time favorite holiday. I, I wanted to dress up in a monk's robe and have like a hammer and a nail. Um, but I could not find a monk's robe that was long enough. They all hit me like right above my knee. So it looked like I was just wearing a frumpy brown dress. And I was like, that's just, that's not, I mean, I might, uh, John for sure would take pictures and make fun of me. So that's just not going to happen. Um, yeah, it's my Catherine Coleman costume. Oh, come Holy Spirit. Um, if you guys have your Bibles, let's go to Hebrews chapter 10. We are going to talk about atonement and forgiveness. Oh, man, 500 years ago, Martin Luther started the Reformation talking about justification, which includes an element of forgiveness, our standing with the Lord, um, and our relationship with the Lord kicking off with faith. But I want to kind of hone in a little bit more on um, forgiveness. So Hebrews chapter 10, this is a huge, we're going to hit three big chunks of scripture today. Um, so Hebrews chapter 10, verses 1 through 18. The law is only a shadow of the good things that are coming, not the realities themselves. For this reason, 
It could never, by the same sacrifice repeated endlessly year after year, make perfect those who draw near to worship. Otherwise, would they not have stopped being offered? For the worshipers would have been cleansed once for all, it would no longer have felt guilty for their sins. But those sacrifices are an annual reminder of sins. It is impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sins. Therefore, when Christ came into the world, he said, Sacrifice and offering you did not desire, but a body you prepared for me. With burnt offerings and sin offerings, you were not pleased. Then I said, Here I am. It is written about me in the scroll. I have come to do your will, my God. First he said, Sacrifices and offerings, burnt offerings and sin offerings you did not desire, nor were you pleased with them, though they were offered in accordance with the law. Then he said, Here I am. I have come to do your will. He sets aside the first to establish the second. And by that will, we have been made holy through the sacrifice of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. Day after day, every priest stands and performs his religious duties. Again and again, he offers the same sacrifices, which can never take away sins. But when this priest, talking about Jesus, had offered for all time one sacrifice for sins... He sat down at the right hand of God, and since that time, he waits for his enemies to be made his footstool. For by one sacrifice, he has made perfect forever those who are being made holy. The Holy Spirit also testifies to us about this. First, he says, this is the covenant I will make with them after that time, says the Lord. I will put my law in their hearts, and I will write them on their minds. Then he adds, their sins and lawless acts I will remember no more. And where these have been forgiven, sacrifice for sin is no longer necessary. Let's pray. Holy Spirit, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the word that you inspired. And right now, Holy Spirit, I ask that you anoint me to teach and preach your word, Lord. But I also ask that you open our eyes Lord, that you open our ears, that you open our hearts, Lord, to see, to hear, and to grasp, to understand, to know everything that you have for us today. In your name we pray, amen. Have, uh, have you guys ever done something to appease the wrath of your mom? Yeah, I think all of us have at some point. Uh, when I was growing up, when I was growing up, my mom and my dad both uh, worked outside of the home, and my brother and I were homeschooled. And so my mom would wake up in the morning, assign us our homework. We sometimes would or would not get all of the homework done by the time they got home from work. And um, when we would see them coming home from work, they worked, both of them worked pretty stressful jobs. My dad oversaw a disaster restoration company. And so Imagine dealing with people's houses flooded all the time and all the stress that comes along with that. And then my mom was a nurse, and we can see during the time that we're living in right now all the stress that comes along with being the nurse. And uh, my mom would set out our homework for the day, and then she would leave us a list, like a to-do list, of chores that we needed to have done by the end of the day as well. And uh, my brother and I, being boys... Um, would often spend most of that time playing PlayStation and watching movies um, and eating absolutely everything in the house. And um, we would often, we had a, like a, 
a code that, or not necessarily a code, we have a, had a thing that we would do every single day. We would call my mom uh, before she was leaving for work, and we would just like, hey, we love you, you're awesome, you're, you're perfect, you're beautiful, you're the most beautiful mom that has ever lived. And what we were really doing is we were testing the waters to see if she was angry before she got home, to see if it was a rough day at work. Because if it was a rough day at work, she'd be like, thanks, awesome, I'll be home soon. Did you get your chores done? Is your homework done? And we'd be like, oh, yes. <laughs> yeah, about that. And we'd just like hang up the phone. And um, oftentimes what would happen is we would then work in, like my mom worked maybe 15 minutes from the house. And so we knew that after we had that phone call, we had about 20 minutes to get absolutely everything done. Obviously, we probably didn't have enough time to get our homework done, but we would like clean like madmen to try to get the house done. Um, and so what would happen often is as soon as we heard the car pull into the driveway, my brother would like run up to the window and he would look through the blinds and he'd be like, she's got an angry look on her face. We need to hurry up and get it all done as quick as possible. And so like it would be like a mad dash. Have you guys, there's a video on YouTube of like two brothers cleaning up the house within like 20 seconds and they're just running all over the house they're throwing clothes into a hamper and thrown into the washing machine and they're like vigorously vacuuming the floors while the other brother is sweeping in the kitchen like that would be us and within 25 seconds we would try to have absolutely everything done sometimes it worked more often than not it did not um, and we would end up getting in trouble and this whole thing um, what, what would end up happening is we would uh, approach our mom and we would say, hey, instead of getting grounded and instead of you taking our PlayStation or our laptop or something like that from us, what if we did A, B, and C? What if we cleaned your car, we swept up the floors, and we raked the lawn? Or what if we, we cleaned up your and dad's bedroom, we vacuumed the whole house, and we re-shingled the roof? We would, like, we would, like, think of, like, the most outrageous things to do. And it was, like, this thing in us of, like, we have to do something to make it better. It was our own mistake that got us into the boat that we were in, but we have to do something to make everything better. Because if, if mama's not happy, nobody's happy. That is a very true statement. I think it's in Proverbs somewhere if you look it up. But um, <laughs> we, uh, everyone messes up. Everyone messes up. Um, it doesn't matter how old you are. You could be 60 years old. You could be 13 years old. Everyone messes up. And I don't want to focus tonight, this morning. I'm used to preaching at night, and I've told you guys that before. I'm used to preaching on Wednesday nights. Um, I don't want to focus this morning necessarily on the mess up. I don't want to focus on the mess up because we, we, everyone knows we mess up. Does everyone in here mess up? I'm pretty sure everyone could raise a hand in that. We all know that we mess up. I want to talk about what we do with ourselves when we mess up. Oftentimes, we find ourselves in what I call a sorry cycle, which is we mess up, we feel really, really bad about it, we apologize a bunch, we try to do something, whether it's like perform an act or do something to appease the wrath of whatever we did, and then we find ourselves in the same boat again the next day or the next week or something like that. It's actually the same system that um, a lot of, well, I don't know if I should go down that road, but I'm going to anyway. It's the same cycle that a lot of churches play off of. I got saved in youth camp 437 times. 
because every single time the youth pastor would get up and preach and there would be a new sin highlighted and I would run up and feel like I had to get saved all over again. Instead of teaching me that, that your sin's been forgiven, <laughs> you're in good standing with the Father. You just have an issue that you need to deal with. You have a mess that you need to clean up. So we're actually going to talk about these sorry cycles. We're going to talk about um, how to deal with these issues. Um, and we even see this in the story of the people of God throughout the Old Testament into the New Testament. Um, the background of Hebrews is, uh, Hebrews is probably one of my favorite books, um, mainly because it's one of the most complicated, and I don't feel like anyone actually, it's kind of like Revelation and that everyone has an opinion on it and no one really knows what it's about. So if your, opi- your opinion on Hebrews is probably just as good as mine, um, but at least my opinion of Hebrews, I try to approach it from a historical sp- perspective. And what I know about Hebrews is that it is a Christian book. It's actually an outline of sermons. So Hebrews is not just an epistle like what we would see written by Paul or Peter or someone like that. Hebrews is actually a collection of sermons that are dealing with a very specific topic. And if um, we kind of read through it um, quickly or we read through it piece by piece, we miss the overarching story of what's happening in this story. Um, this is why if you get to know me, I tell you, please don't read a chapter of the Bible a day because you, you, you miss so much of the story because it's disconnected. If you're going to read an epistle, sit down and read the whole epistle in one sitting. It usually takes about 20 to 30 minutes. Um, but if we section up Hebrews, and like I said, because it's a complicated book, most of us try to section it out. We miss the theme of what's being talked about. And the theme of what's being talked about is that Jesus is better. The temptation for people, uh, the person who was writing the book of Hebrews, we still don't know who wrote the book of Hebrews. I personally think it was Paul, just because Paul's a hero of mine. Um, But there's a lot of awesome theories. Some people think it was Luke. Some people think that it was Apollos. There's a lot of people who uh, think that it was actually Phoebe the deacon that wrote the book of Hebrews. Um, But we don't honestly know. But we do know is that the the foundation of what's being talked about is that uh, Christians were being tempted to head back to the Old Covenant. See, when we talk about persecution in the early church, we typically tend to focus on what Rome was doing to Christians. And Rome did a lot of horrible, nasty stuff to Christians. Fed them to lions, sawed them in half, boiled them in oil, lit them on fire. Crazy stuff. But we forget about the fact that it was also the very people of God that were also persecuting the people of God. And so the temptation by, by the Christians who were experiencing persecutions by the hands of the temple. And we see this with, with even Paul. Paul was one of the people who, were doing, who was doing the persecution. The temptation for people who were experiencing the persecution at the hands of the temple was to say, well, I'll just go back to the old ways of worship and all this persecution stuff will end. I'll just go back to the law of Moses. I'll just go back to keeping the Ten Commandments. I'll go back to to all of this stuff because at least all of this stuff will end. It'll come to an end. And so the author of Hebrews is writing an encouraging message to Hebrew Christians. That's why it's called to the Hebrews. is Christians who are most likely living in Jerusalem at the time who are experiencing this persecution. Writing a letter to the Hebrews and telling them, guys, I know you're experiencing intense persecution, but Jesus is so much better. And in this particular section, he focuses on 
atonement. He, he focuses on forgiveness. Um, if you're taking notes, my first point is the law, including the sacrificial systems, was only a shadow. In fact, it wasn't even what God desired. That's not heresy. That's what the author of Hebrews just said. And I think that there's, there's some language at play here. It's not what God desired, but it was his will. Because he says that it was a part of the system of the law. So it was given to God, to the church, as a system, but at the same time, it was not what he desired. Um, and there's a very specific reason as to why, and we will get there in a few minutes. But before that, let's go to Exodus chapter 19, because I really want to paint a picture about what this sacrificial system looked like and the reason why it was given. Moses, or Exodus chapter 19, I almost said Moses chapter 19. He did write it. Same difference. In Exodus chapter 9, verses 3 through 6, we see God's original covenantal offer to Israel. So Israel had been brought out of Egypt. God had brought them to the foot of Sinai, and he talks to Moses, and he makes them a very specific offer. And what we'll see is that Israel blows it, and there was a change in the offer. Exodus chapter 19, verses 3 through 19 says, Then Moses went up to God, and the Lord called to him from the mountain and said, This is what you are to say to the descendants of Jacob, and what you are to tell the people of Israel. You yourselves have seen what I did to Egypt, and how I carried you on eagles' wings and brought you to myself. Now, if you obey me fully and keep my covenant, then out of all nations you will be my treasured possession. Although the whole earth is mine, you will be for me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. Remember that language. These are the words you are to speak to the Israelites. So this is the original covenantal offer. You're going to be a kingdom of priests to me. Again, notice that language. I'll pick up on it here in a minute. And, and then God gives, here's what you guys are supposed to do. These are the words you are to speak to Israelites. So Moses went back and summoned the elders of the people and set before them all the words the Lord had commanded him to speak. The people all responded together, we will do everything the Lord has said. So Moses brought their answers back to the Lord. The Lord said to Moses, I'm going to come to you in a dense cloud so that the people will hear me speaking with you and they will always put their trust in you as their, as, as your, as their leader. Then Moses told the Lord what the people had said and the Lord said to Moses, go to the people and consecrate them today and tomorrow. We'll have them wash their clothes and be ready by the third day because on that day the Lord will come down on Mount Sinai in the sight of all the people. Put limits for the people around the mountain and tell them, be careful that you do not approach the mountain or touch the foot of it. Whoever touches the, uh, the mountain is to be put to death. They are to be stoned or shot with arrows. Bummer. Not a hand is to be laid on them. No person or animal shall be permitted to live. Listen, this is, we, we typically stop there, but listen to what G, uh, God says here. Only when the ram's horn sounds a long blast may they approach the mountain. So all of them are to gather at the foot of the mountain, then they can begin to come up the mountain when they hear the sound of the ram's horn. After Moses had gone down the mountain to the people, he consecrated them, and they washed their clothes. Then he said to the people, uh, abstains from sexual relations, again, a bummer. On the morning of the third day, there was thunder and lightning with a thick cloud over the mountain and a very loud trumpet blast. Everyone in the camp trembled. 
Then Moses led the people out of the camp to meet with God, and they stood at the foot of the mountain. Mount Sinai was covered with smoke because the Lord descended on it in fire. The smoke billowed up from it like smoke from a furnace, and the whole mountain trembled violently. As the sound of the trumpet grew louder and louder, Moses spoke with the voice of God, and the voice of God answered him. And then the story picks up in Exodus chapter 20, verses 18 through 21. This is the end. When the people saw the thunder and lightning and heard the trumpet and saw the mountain and smoke, they trembled with fear. They stayed at a distance and said to Moses, Speak to us yourself and we will listen. But do not have God speak to us or we will die. Moses said to the people, do not be afraid. God has come to test you so that you will fear the Lord. Uh, Fear of God will be with you and keep you from sinning. The people remained at a distance while Moses approached the thick darkness where God was. Do you guys see what's happening in this text? God's original covenantal offer was that the people of Israel would be a kingdom of priests, but because of their disobedience, they become a kingdom with priests. The original covenantal offer was that everyone would be a priest. Everyone would speak for and from God. But because they feared and they did not follow the specific commandments, they then become a kingdom with priests, a kingdom with a priesthood. And because of their disobedience, because of this reaction, because they refused to move forward to the mountain when God commanded them to, the audible voice of God is not heard again in the history of Israel until Jesus' baptism. We could end there and and go home. (laughs) Because later on in the New Covenant, we see in Revelation, I have called you to be a kingdom of priests. There's the restoration to the priesthood for the people of God. We'll keep moving through. My second point. This is the reason why the law system was not God's desire. It was his will, but it was not God's desire. God is a condescending God, and I do not mean that in a negative sense. God approaches people, and he reaches down to where they're at. It's the only way it can work. We can't reach up to God, but God has to reach down to us. And so in God's condescension, he he reaches down to us and sees where we're at. He will not advance us beyond what we are capable of understanding. That's why there's so much revelation that's being released right now. We weren't ready for it 500 years ago. That's why the Reformation is still happening. That's That's why the Reformation is still happening. That's why the tagline of the Reformation was reformed and still reforming. It was meant to continue on. And this is part of that revelation. The law system wasn't God's desire because one, and I could get in trouble to this, but please listen to what I'm saying. It gave the illusion of separation between God and man. It gave the illusion of separation between God and man. I'm going, I'm going to comment on that. Please do not call me a heretic. <laughs> and two, it could never accomplish its purpose. First was that it created an illusion that there was a distance between God and man, and two was that it could never accomplish its purpose. It's actually what the people of Israel wanted. Instead of saying, we want to be a kingdom of priests, they asked for a priesthood. 
And biblical scholars will tell you that all the nations surrounding Israel at that time had a priesthood with animal sacrifices. So instead of looking up at God and saying, oh, I get to be a priesthood, I get to speak on God's behalf, and God will speak directly to me, they said, I, actually, we want to be kind of like this country over here that has a priesthood, and they get to sacrifice the animals, and then they have this sense of atonement. So it could never accomplish what God wanted, or it could never accomplish its purpose, and it gave the illusion of separation between God and mankind. Let me qualify this, please. Sin separates us from God, but not on his end. Sin separates us from God, but not on his end. Oftentimes we'll quote the passage, how could you, how, uh, God is so holy, how could he look at sin? The very next chapter it says, so why do you? There's teachings in the church about the atonement of, of we'll look at the story of Jesus when Jesus is on the cross and he cries out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And there's preachers who will preach that's because when Christ took on the sin of, of the world that God had to turn his back to Jesus because he could not look upon sin. When in actuality, Jesus is quoting a psalm that starts with, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? But it ends with talking about the triumph of the sacrifice and the fact that the Lord hadn't forsaken his servant. I think it's Psalm 22, but don't quote me on that. So, now that I've qualified that, let me continue on. Salvation was never included as a part of the law. Anywhere. Salvation was never included as a part of the law. Only blessings and cursings based upon performance by individuals, as well as favor and wrath based upon the performance of the whole people. So you can go all the way back and read Deuteronomy. You can go all the way back and read Exodus. There is no promise of salvation. There is no promise of heaven or anything like that. It was, if you do this, you will be blessed. If you do this, you will be cursed. If the whole people of Israel does this, there will be blessing and favor upon the people of God. If the whole people turn their back on me, there will be wrath. And so for, for some odd reason, and I say this as someone who, who talks with young people, I say this as someone who is currently studying theology in seminary, I don't know where in the world we got the idea that, that because we're saved, we still have to keep these elements of the law to remain in right relationship with the Lord, because it is absolutely nowhere in Scripture. It's over 500 years of church tradition, though. As Paul mentions in Galatians, this law, this atonement system, uh, the law did serve a purpose in the sense that it pointed to the fact that humanity constantly makes stupid decisions. All through, if you, if you want to see how stupid the children of Israel are, and I, I mean this, they literally carried around God's presence on a stick. The Ark of the Covenant, presence of God went everywhere with them. Presence of God was on a stick as they marched around the desert, and they still turned to idols. The story later on after this story in Exodus cracks me up. It cracks me up, but it's also so sad that, that as Moses is up on the mountain because the children of Israel wouldn't come forward, Aaron, who's supposed to be the priest, says, uh, Moses is probably dead. Uh, go ahead and collect all of your gold. Um, we're going to make an idol, and this is actually the God that led us out of Israel, or led us out of Egypt. 
And then when Moses comes and confronts them, the funniest part, and I get it because I've approached people before who have made a mess of their lives, and when you try to approach them about it, you try to confront them about it, they have like usually the stupidest excuses as to why something happened. It's like, why did you do this? How did this happen? And Aaron's response is, uh, we threw the gold into the fire and this idol came out. Yeah. So it's, 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 a, it's a constant, it's a constant thing. It's not anything new. Messing up and all that stuff is nothing new. It is literally the storyline of the people of God. But so is God's redemption. The bad part about the law isn't the fact that there's a law. It's the fact that Israel requested it and then couldn't live up to the standard. God's law is holy. God's law is righteous. But it has absolutely no bearing on our salvation whatsoever. Thankfully, because as we see throughout the story of Israel, they could not keep up their end. Here's my main point. My absolute main point. Jesus accomplished what the law never could. His holiness has become our holiness. His righteousness has become our righteousness. His sacrifice completely and totally cleansed us, and we have been included in a significantly better covenant. You guys understand that in the old covenant, forgiveness was never promised. In fact, in the old covenant, whenever the, the day of atonement would happen, whenever the day of atonement would happen, it only forgave the previous year's sin. And so you would go through this big thing. You would carry your sacrifice to the priest. The priest would offer a sacrifice, and it only cleansed, covered over last year's sins. Notice it didn't forgive. It covered over last year's sins. So imagine the Day of Atonement. You go and do your sacrifices. You get cleansed. And then on your way back to your house, you stub your toe and say something that you shouldn't say. You then have to wait a complete year to get that one covered over. It was a horrible system, and why anyone would agree to it, I will never know. Forgiveness is a promise in the new covenant. Forgiveness is a promise in the new covenant. And that forgiveness, that sacrifice is once for all. We live in a significantly better covenant, guys. Significantly better covenant. The priests of the old covenant continually stood and made sacrifices for the people. The high priest of the new covenant, Jesus, offered one sacrifice for all time, and then he sat down and then invited us to sit with him. You guys understand this, this, this the linking of these two concepts. Jesus, Jesus uh, offered sacrifice once for all, and then it says he sat down. Later on in Ephesians, we read that the setting down happened at the right hand of the Father, which we are seated with him. Not only are we forgiven, not only are we seated with Jesus, but now we also take up that mantle of the high priests. We also take up that mantle of being high priests. I want to read something to you. I did not plan on reading this to you, but the Lord just spurred me to read it. You have your Bibles. I want you to read this with me. 2 Corinthians, and then I'm, I'm about to close. Oh, man. I now know why those, like, Pentecostal preachers, like, have the, the hankies. Because I'm, like, sweating up here right now, guys. Whew. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, starting in verse 16. From now on, therefore, 
we regard no one according to the flesh. Even though we once regarded Christ according to the flesh, we regard him thus no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. All this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them, and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ, as if God was making his appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. For our sake, he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Reconciliation has happened. And now we've been given the ministry of reconciliation. I don't have a closing point. I want to leave you with a question, though, and then we're going to transition to prayer. Here's my question. If reconciliation and forgiveness on God's side is done, if reconciliation and forgiveness on God's side is done, then how do we have the right to carry unforgiveness towards others? If we've been given the ministry of reconciliation, that means that sometimes the only person holding unforgiveness towards someone is you. It's done on, it's done on God's side. And so as we continue on with our life, as we interact with people, as we talk with loved ones, as we talk with friends, as we talk with family, people who are, who are living in sin, are we proclaiming reconciliation and forgiveness over them? Because that's what we're called to do as those who have received forgiveness and reconciliation. Let's stand up. Earlier I said that um, failure is the human experience. Um, and that is, that's true for, for one person. Um, or that's true for everyone but one person. We often, though we may not necessarily go and, and go back to the old covenant, oftentimes we create our own systems of atonement. We find ourselves in our own sorry cycles whether it's every time there's an altar call given, we feel like we have to get saved again. We feel like we have to do something with God to earn his favor back. I'm here to tell you that that was completely and totally dealt with 2,000 years ago. And that is a remnant of a law that you have never been under. That is a remnant of a covenant you have never been in. And it has no place in your heart. It has no place in your life. So what I want to do is for everyone in the room, if that's you, if, if, if you're the person who says, yeah, I create my own systems of atonement, whether it's with I make my spouse angry or I make my mom and dad angry or I make my boss angry, whatever your system of atonement applies, whether it, maybe it specifically applies to God, 
I keep on messing up. I keep finding myself in this system, and I keep saying I'm sorry and that I'll never do it again, but I find myself in that same place the next day, the next week, the next month. Today is the day to receive that forgiveness once for all. It's already been accomplished on his end. All we have to do is receive. So I want you to pray with me. Every uh, head bowed, every eye closed. Jesus, we thank you for your sacrifice. We thank you for your forgiveness that we can receive holiness and righteousness and forgiveness once for all. We don't have to beg. We don't have to plead. We only have to receive. I just want to create a little bit of space. If that is you, if that is you, you don't have to say it out loud, but I want you as an act of receiving it to reach your hand out and receive forgiveness from the Lord. Pull it into your heart. I'm just going to take a few seconds and make some space for this. This is an important moment. Because it may actually lead to repentance. Not necessarily repentance from sin, but repentance for how you see the Lord. That you think he's holding wrath and anger towards you when he wants to give you forgiveness. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord. Jesus, we love you, we thank you, we honor you, we worship you, and we thank you that we are forgiven people in a better covenant. In your name we pray, amen. You've been listening to the Gate Charlotte's podcast. Consider subscribing so you don't miss a message or sending this to someone who might need encouragement today. Thanks for joining us.